with what was the end of our passage last week. I didn't feel like I did that part justice, and it also serves uh, as a, a really good contrast to what Luke presents for us at the very beginning of chapter 21 here. Um, so, uh, Luke chapter 20, beginning in verse 45. It says, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father God, this is your word, and Lord, you have given it to us for teaching and for reproof, for, for building us up in godliness and holiness. Uh, but Lord, our hearts are, are often distracted. They are often uh, turned to, to other things, even during this time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to us in a, a mighty way. Uh, help us to, to hear your voice. Help us to hear your teaching uh, in this, your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Other piece of housekeeping that I failed to mention is that you will notice there are no, um, uh, there was no text and there is no sermon title in your bulletin. And, and again, that was my doings uh, because I was not 100% sure where we were going to head this week. Uh, but we are obviously continuing on in Luke. Uh, and the name of our sermon this morning is The Danger of Inauthentic Living. Now, I'm sure that, that some of you, particularly those of you who have Netflix at home, uh, will be familiar with the story of a young lady named Anna Delvey. Uh, now, for those of you who are not familiar with who that is, her actual name is Anna Sorokin, uh, and she was and is a Russian-German immigrant who, from to the, the years of 2013 to 2017, uh, posed in New York City as a rich German heiress. Uh, to make a long story short, through a great deal of fraud, and through the gullibility and naivete of those around her, she was able in those years to live this just incredible, glamorous lifestyle, uh, rubbing shoulders with the rich and the famous, uh, and whisking all of her just quote-unquote friends off all over the world on these just elaborate vacations. Um, again, if you have seen the documentary, then you know I'm not exaggerating when I say it is almost beyond belief what she was able to pull off with basically nothing. She had absolutely nothing to her name, but she lived this outwardly extraordinary lifestyle. But as is usually the case when we do that sort of thing, eventually the, the imaginary sort of fraudulent world she had built came crashing down. Uh, at some point, the, the creditors, the, the police caught up to her, uh, and she was persecuted, prosecuted, not persecuted, but prosecuted, uh, and I think now is awaiting to be deported, or at least that was the, the last that I had heard. So, uh, but my point is, is that living uh, inauthentically, it turned out to be a dangerous risk to take. 
You know, outwardly she, she was showing all of these things, but, but inwardly, actually, she was someone very different. Now, I realize that that's a, a pretty extreme example, but the reality that that danger, that that danger proves, uh, the reality of that danger, it proves to be true almost any time we try to falsely portray ourselves publicly. You know, whether it's a full-on fake identity, whether it's just kind of, you know, bending the corners on social media, whether it's just a little white lie, inauthenticity, particularly hypocrisy, it usually comes to light. And when it does, the resulting fallout is generally painful or embarrassing, and it's potentially life-altering. Again, living inauthentically. It's a dangerous business. Now, I begin there this morning because as we have gone through Luke, and particularly as we turn to our passage today, what we find is that nowhere is that inauthenticity more prevalent and nowhere is it more dangerous than in our religious lives. For those of us who have grown up attending church Sunday after Sunday, the temptation is to present ourselves publicly in a very religious sort of way. We we all know how, at this point, to look the part. But what we often present ourselves as publicly, saints, privately, and in, in reality, we ain't, right? That's maybe a little irreverent, but it's true. We present ourselves in a way that maybe our hearts are not in agreement with. Now, it's to those kind of people, churchgoers, it's to that way of living, very outwardly pious, that Jesus reserves his harshest and most scathing criticisms. And we certainly see that here in our passage today. In these verses, Jesus is going to, once again, expose the hypocrisy of the religious authorities, the religious elite, those who presented themselves, perceived themselves as holy, and he will also reveal their sure and unfortunate fate, a fate that awaits all living, inauthentic religious lives. At the same time, he's going to show us, maybe in a surprising way, what the religion, what true religion and devotion should look like. Rather than than flashiness, rather than, than big public grand gestures, what God desires from his people is simple, consistent faithfulness. Rooted in his love for them. Rooted in a changed heart that he has given to them. And so today, we see two things. We're going to see the danger of inauthentic living, but we're also going to see the joy and the hope of authentic living. The question for all of us is which one are we living? Well, that's the question before us, so let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is a dire warning, a dire warning. Having publicly stumped the various religious groups in the passages that have come before this one, Jesus now turns his attention back to his disciples and he says, Beware of the scribes. 
Now look, we, we've gone through Luke, and all of you are familiar enough with Scripture that, that we expect to hear this sort of thing when we come to the Bible. We expect to hear Jesus speaking out against the religious authorities, against the scribes, against the Pharisees. That's, that's what we expect him to say. But I just want to remind you briefly how radical this sort of thing would have been to those in Jesus' time. To, to those Jews who heard Jesus say this. Basically, in our modern terms, what Jesus is saying is beware of the most respected Bible scholars that are out there. Beware of the religious authors. Beware of the seminary professors, the teachers. Beware of the pastors, the, the great Bible uh, Sunday school teachers that you've had. Beware of those types of people. Guard yourselves against those who are respected, who are revered as, as those who present themselves as religious authorities. And I want you to notice that Jesus tells us how they are presenting themselves in that way, right? And it looks very good on the outside. First, he says there that they wear long robes. Now, there's two ways we could kind of interpret this, two ways scholars have interpreted it. Some think that, that what Jesus is describing here are the, the scribes' sort of fancy and expensive robes, uh, robes they believed were a sign of their great standing, uh, robes that, that were proof of God's blessing, at least in worldly terms, upon their work. And so in this case, it's sort of a, a prosperity gospel that they're presenting, Right? If you want to be like us, if you want to have all of this financial success, if you want to have God's blessing, then live as we are living, right? So their robes were a sign of that prosperity that they had, at least in their own minds, right? Another way that, that scholars have taken this uh, is if you go back to Matthew chapter 23 and in verse 5, you'll see Jesus addressing this same kind of topic with the Pharisees. Uh, in keeping with the, the custom of Moses, these men would often wear tassels or cords on the four corners of their robes. Uh, and those cords were there to remind the people to obey God's commandments. They were there to remind the people to be holy. Holy as the scribes and the Pharisees presented themselves as holy, right? They, they were saying to them, follow us, be like us. Now, either way, the, the point is, however we take the, this idea of their robes, either way, the, the point is, is that they were an outward sign, a public declaration of the scribes' religious superiority. And it was a superiority that other people would have seen, other people would have acknowledged. I want you to recognize that. People around would have said, oh yeah, these are the, the holy ones. These are the authority. So much so that notice what Jesus says next about them, that they enjoy greetings in the marketplace. They enjoy the best seats, that the places of honor at the feast. These scribes wanted people to, to perceive them in a certain way. They, they wanted to hear the adulation of the people. Look at old scribe so-and-so. You know, he, he's so wise. It's so religious. Those robes are so stinking stylish. Man, I wish I could be as, as committed and as holy as that guy. They expected people. They received 
from people uh, the, the place of honor at feast. When they entered into your home, it was an honor for them to be there. Because there was no one, at least in their own minds, in the minds of the people, that was closer to God. They deserved the proper recognition. And so again, outwardly, they're, they're presenting all the right things. They have long robes. They, they look the part. People are acknowledging them in this way. And then thirdly, Jesus says there that, that they showed their, their great learning, their, their great oratory skills through their long prayer lives. Um, now, some of you are chuckling on, on the inside, saying our pastor may be in trouble here because he has a tendency to do these sorts of things. And you may be right, but notice that here, the, the idea is not necessarily the length of their prayers, but that they're doing it where? Very public places, right? They're doing it so that everyone will see. And again, everyone will say, how amazing, how holy this man must be. I wish I could pray in that way or just have a portion of that sort of godliness. How blessed, how religious he must be. Outwardly, in every way, these men were impressive. They were, they were buttoned up. They were the best. And Jesus says, beware of them. Beware. And so we ask, what was the problem? Doesn't God bless his servants? Well, certainly he says that he does, right? Isn't it good to keep the commandments, to be holy as their tassels represented? Is it wrong to pray even long prayers? Am I in trouble for praying long prayers? Why is Jesus so opposed to these men? Well, friends, the, the answer I would submit to you is because their outward appearance it did not match their inner reality. You know, what these great religious thinkers and teachers failed to understand, or at least what they turned a blind eye to, was the reality that the God that they serve, that they claim to serve, he didn't look on outward appearances. He's no respecter of men. But as he did with David, what he looks to is the heart. And as he looked at these scribes' hearts, what was it that he found? They were men who devoured widows, right? In other words, they, they took advantage of those whom God had shown himself to be most committed to protecting. Over and over again in the Old Testament, what does he say? Protect widows, guard them. He sets his law up to protect them. Not only was God committed to protecting them, but these should have been the people that they were most committed to protecting. They were the authorities. They, they were the most religious. They knew God's word best. And so they themselves should have been protecting these widows. And yet, they devour them. They steal from them. For their own good, they take from those who are most vulnerable. Already we see that, that their religious appearance is just greediness. It's just self-serving. It, it's hypocrisy, right? You see this as well in their prayer lives. Again, the issue is not the length of their prayers. Christ would often go and pray for long periods of time. The issue was the motivation, the intention of their prayer lives. Their goal in offering all of that was just to, to be heard. 
It was so that people would recognize their theology, recognize their godliness, and be impressed. It's the same with their robes. It's the same with the high places that they set. They just wanted to be seen. They wanted to maintain a certain outward appearance. But inwardly, it didn't match up. And for God, again, who looks at the heart, that's his concern. What what does the heart say? And so Jesus, again, he says, Beware of the scribes because they will receive greater condemnation. And friends, it's there that that we see the warning. A warning that on the one hand is for each and every one of us, right? Uh, You know, the truth is, is all of us want to be viewed in a certain way. Even if it's to be viewed as if we don't care at all, we want to be viewed somehow. And as we have said, that's especially true for those of us who have grown up in the church, those of us who have grown up in the South, where appearances mean everything, where we can be a wreck at home, but we have to go out and present ourselves with this this mask of of everything's great, everything is good, right? Right? We know how to put on a public appearance really, really well. Again, Jesus here gives us the warning. Here, these words are almost scathing, right? We show up to church every time the doors are open. We serve on every committee. We show off our knowledge. We stand in this pulpit. And yes, sometimes we make long prayers. But when it comes to the motivations of our hearts, motivations, again, I would remind you that God knows and sees clearly, like the scribes, all of our piety tends to just be pretense. It's not God that we are serving, but in reality, it is ourselves. Rather than striving for holiness, we're just pursuing self-promotion. And friends, I don't think it's too harsh to say that God hates that sort of religion. He hates that sort of hypocrisy. And so for all of us, we, we find ourselves in a certain amount of danger here because at its core, what is sin? Especially for those of us who are, call ourselves God's people. For those of us who know his word, what is sin? It's just hypocrisy. We claim to say one thing, we we claim something about God, but then we turn around and we do something completely different. So, for all of us, this is a great warning. But having said that, I would especially hold this warning up to those of us who have been given positions of leadership in God's church, to our officers, to our Sunday school teachers, to those who are serving God in an official capacity. This is a warning that is really for us. Again, who is it that Jesus is speaking to? It's the religious leaders. It's the scribes. And what does he say? Theirs is not just condemnation, But the greater condemnation, greater than what? Greater than who? 
Well, it's greater than those who are not in positions of authority, greater than those who have not heard, greater than those who don't know the word the way that we claim to know the word. These were the folks who were called to lead God's people to know better, to act better. And so their responsibility, their judgment is even greater James says the same thing in James chapter 3 and in verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And we think of judgment as just this kind of level playing field, and in some sense it may be. But the Bible is clear that there's a proportionality to it. The more you know, the greater it is. The more authority you have, the greater it is. This is a dire warning to elders today, to deacons, to, all, to me, to any pastor who would stand in a pulpit and preach God's word. Now, some will say, well, what hope do we have? We're sinners, right? How could, we, how could God judge us more because of who we are? And to some degree, I would agree with you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is, it's not us. It's not me. It's not the officers of our church. We are not sufficient for these things. And so men and Sunday school, I would say to all of us, the result of that better be we on our knees before God praying for his mercy praying for his guidance as we lead his people. Our first move should not be, hey, I've got this, should not be, let me, let me speak to you all of my great wisdom. Our first move should be, let's go get somewhere and pray about this. Our hope rests not in ourselves, but it rests in Jesus who has shown himself to be completely different from these scribes, from these Pharisees, right? As he tells them how to act, what is he telling them but, but how he has presented themselves, himself, right? He who had every right to come in glory. He who had every right to present himself with authority and power and strength to robe himself in the finest that this world had to offer. How does he come in humility to serve people, to love people, to even go to a cross and die for people? That's the calling he gives to those in leadership, to not look to yourself, to not look to your heart, but to look to him, right? To look to the needs and the cares of others. It's really the calling he has given to every single one of us as his people, not just leadership. The call is to serve, to serve as he has served us. And so again, we have a dire warning here. May we heed it. Secondly, and finally in this passage, I want you to notice a surprising example. Now, as Luke so often does, he follows up one example with a sharp and more desirable contrast. And it's interesting here uh, that it's a widow who serves as the basis for that, one whom these scribes had been devouring, one whom they would have just looked over, or they would have taken advantage of, 
she serves as the, 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 the example that's held up to us. Now you'll recall that, that it's Passover week, and so so many were in Jerusalem to bring their tithes. So many, in fact, that, that it would have been uh, difficult uh, to, to distinguish one gift from another. Uh, you would have had to have given particularly generously for anyone to recognize what you have done. And so when, they, when it says here that Jesus looked and saw the rich putting their gifts in, they were doing it very elaborately and very much for show. And certainly people would have seen and they would have said, gosh, look how much he's given. Look, look at how, what, what great things God will do with all of this for his kingdom. How blessed this person is, how blessed he will be as he goes from this place. People were watching. But you know who they wouldn't have seen? They wouldn't have seen this widow with her two small copper coins. And frankly, who could blame them? What was two copper coins compared to all the riches that were given by these folks who had greater means? What were two copper coins in the grand scheme of God's kingdom? Not very much, really. So why, why, why can't we just move away from her? Why, why can't we get to the good stuff? You know, they don't think much of the widow's offering, but notice, notice who does. Jesus sees her. He sees what she's giving, and he says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. And we say, what? How? How could that be? How, how could two copper coins amount to more than anybody else? Again, verse 4. For they all contributed out of their abundance. In other, words, they had, in other words, they had plenty. They had plenty to give. And they gave out of that abundance. This woman, she gave out of her poverty. And she put in all she had to live on. Literally, everything she had, she gave to God. She trusted him even down to her own penny. She had claimed faith in God and friends in her actions. She showed it. She showed that she believed that God would care for her. She showed that she believed he would provide for her every need. In so many ways, she was putting her money where her mouth was, right? She had confessed God. And now here it was. She said about him, she confirmed to be true with her actions. Really, she was putting her money where her heart was. She loved the Lord. She was trusting in him. And so she gave it all. She gave everything for him. And that's the point of the example. The idea is not that each of us have to give all of our worldly possessions to the church. He may call us to that, but he hasn't necessarily called every one of us to that. But what he has called us to is to consider the motivations, the dispositions of our hearts when we are giving to him. Friends, the amount of money, the amount of service, the amount of sacrifice is not the issue here. 
As we have seen, we can give with grand and enormous gestures. And we in the West, we in America, give in grand ways, in enormous ways, as compared to the way people are able to give all over the world. We can give that way, or we can give with a faithful and joyful heart, seeking to glorify God, seeking to to receive His good pleasure. Friends, here's the, the fact of the matter, okay? When it boils down to it. So hear what I'm about to say. God does not need our money. He does not need our service. He does not need our leadership. He's God. He is all-sufficient in himself. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do anything he wants to do. And he can do it with us. He can do it despite us. He does not need the things that we bring. But what he does want and what he demands is our hearts right? And part of that, giving our hearts, means that we give to him of the other things that he has given to us. We give to him freely of our time and of our money and of our, uh, uh, the, the talents that we have. He wants us to be faithful. He wants all of us. Not just what we show to the world, not just the best version of ourselves, because he knows the lie in that. He wants it all. And friends, what, what good news that is. You know, if you're here today and you think, what do I have to offer to God? Consider this widow. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be R.C. Sproul. You don't have to be John Calvin. Thank God that we don't have to be those things because very few people are those men. Whatever God has given you, however big or however small it is, you can use it for His glory and He receives it that way. That's the, Ben's example is the perfect example. You know, when our kids make things for us that nobody else would consider valuable at all, we cherish them, we post them up, we put them everywhere, right? If you walk in our house right now, our refrigerator is full of things that kids have made. Guess what? The money that we bring, the things that we bring, all of that stuff that we bring to God, really, in the grand scheme of things, is not all that valuable. It's not that much. But guess what? In his grace, he posted up, right? He, this, he says, this is, this is my child has brought me this. He loves it. He values it. Not because we are worthy, not because there's value in it, but because he loves us. He cares for us. He sees it, and he values our faithfulness. He values our hearts. And so, friends, I ask you, Will you take the, the mask of religion off today? Will you take that, all that pretense, all of that, we have to go out into the world and we have to, to do this and we have to do that? Will we stop comparing ourselves to everybody? Uh, will we stop trying to climb this religious ladder of things that we have to do? You know, when it gets right down to it, the scribes, in the end, they thought they were religiously great and grand and all of these things. They thought they were living the way that they should, but in the end, all they were were slaves. They were slaves to their religion. They were slaves to themselves. So 
Paul says in Christ there is real freedom. We can be free in him to go and live as he's called. We can get off of the, the kind of hamster wheel of religion. He frees us to that. And so will you give yourself fully to Christ? Will you trust in him? Will you follow him? He who gave his all for us. He who didn't flaunt his authority, didn't flaunt his power, but who became weak for our sakes. Will you give your life to him? Officers of the church, will you serve as this widow served? Giving your heart, giving everything to him. Not holding up with pretense your greatness, not, not lording over people your power. Serving as Christ has served us. Will you today give your life to him? Will you find that he will hold you and he will bless you? Bless you beyond measure, just as he blessed this widow's might. Let's pray together. Father, uh, as we consider this passage, um, Lord, the truth is, is, is we all come up far short, far lacking. Uh, the world often calls us a bunch of hypocrites, and the truth is, is we are. Uh, Lord, we, we live so inauthentically in so many ways, particularly in our religious observances and the things that we say. We're not consistent, and Lord, we, we beg and cry out to you for mercy. We pray that you would forgive us for those inconsistencies, that you would show us where they are. The truth is, is, that is we're so used to doing them, we don't even see them most of the time. So Lord, show us where we are living inauthentically. Lord, I pray particularly for the, the officers of our church. I pray that you would give them a heart to, that longs to serve you, not so that they can be uh, esteemed, not that they can be held in the highest regard, but Lord, that they can serve you faithfully as you have called them to serve faithfully. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who served in that way, uh, not lording himself over those who he had every right to, to crush, but he served even to the cross, even to death, even to your right hand, where he, where he now is interceding on our behalf. Lord, how we praise you for him. Lord, keep, us, keep him ever before our eyes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.